Good morning, everyone. I'm going to start off reading something to you. Uh, I challenged first service, and really it was pretty quiet. I, I know there was one guy that knew exactly what I was, was uh, quoting to him, if you will, um, but I couldn't gather from the rest of the, the audience until I got to later. So I'm going to challenge you and see how many of you might remember something like this. It goes like this. You will notice that we say brother and sister around here. It's because we're a family, and those are so near. When one has a heartache, we all share the tears and rejoice in each victory in this family so dear. From the door of an orphanage to the house of the king, no longer an outcast, a new song I sing. From rags into riches, from the weak to the strong, I'm not worthy to be here, but praise God, I belong. Does anyone recognize those words? Ah, oh, hey, we hear it. Thank you. Thank you. Well done, Mr. Burns. Yes, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this side, for I am part of the family, the family of God. How many of you sang that at some point in time in your church lives? Yes, our church would do things where we would sing like the same closing chorus for like a month at a time as a kid growing up. Did anybody else do that? And so that was one of those that routinely you would sing at the end of service for a month at a time, if nothing else, just the chorus. I believe that every Christian ought to be joined to some visible church that is his plain duty, according to the scriptures. God's people are not dogs, else they might go about one by one, but they are sheep, and therefore they should be in flocks. Those aren't the words of Chris Howell, oh no, someone much, much farther advanced in their faith than me. That was Charles Spurgeon who spoke those words about becoming a church member. You see, our God works in covenants. I don't know if in this world truly we understand or know what a covenant is. We don't use that terminology. But the reality is you and I are called to be in a covenant relationship with one another in this body of Christ. But do we know what that means? Our goal today is to explain the church's role in this covenant membership, the church's part of this covenant. Next week, we'll talk about us as church members and what that covenant looks like between us and the church. What's our responsibility? But our God works in covenants. It's no mystery. The best example of this to start with is found in your very own Bible. Right there, when you open it up, you'll notice it's divided into two sections. Now, we call them the Old and the New Testament because that's the name that was given to them. However, a much more accurate term that should have been used, and I, I really think scholars wish they would have named it as such back in the day, was the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The first two-thirds of your Bible, the Old Covenant, was God's covenant with Abraham and with the children of Israel. The second half, the new covenant, is God's covenant with all of mankind through the promise of his son Jesus and everything that Jesus accomplished. Our God works in covenants. They've been around for as long as you can remember. God initiated a covenant way back in the book of Genesis between himself and Noah and his family. God made a covenant promise to Noah and his family that they would be spared of the judgment that the world was about to undergo. And he sealed his covenant in this way. Genesis chapter 9, beginning in verse 8. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, all the animals, all those that came out of the ark with you. 
every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all of life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the entire earth. And God said this, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Now, I revealed earlier something about myself. I am still fascinated with the things of the sky, whether it be the sunrise, the sunset, the clouds, rainbows, absolutely fascinated by such things. I still am to this day. I don't know if you're as fascinated with rainbows as I am, but Kinley and I will still go get in a car and go chasing after rainbows to get as close as we possibly can to them. We enjoy it. It's fun. You should try it if you haven't done it. Um, Last year, we were blessed with actually having a rainbow in our front yard, Um, and that was fun to go out and get to play in, literally, in the rainbow. There was no gold, though. I hate to tell you that, but there was no gold at all. Um, Yeah, I would not drive a 2005 Prius if there was gold in that rainbow. Uh, Anyway, um, here's the thing, okay? The modern term covenant, I I truly don't think our society, our culture understands what this is. we, We know it's an agreement, a contract, even a promise, but it's so much more than that. The Hebrew word that's used there is the word bereth, used 342 times throughout the Bible. There's a distinct difference between a covenant and what we would use most often in our culture, a contract. A contract is a legally binding agreement. A covenant is a spiritual agreement. A contract is an exchange of goods, one for another. A covenant is literally giving oneself to another. An easy way to explain the difference between the two is this. With a contract, if one of the two agreeing parties breaks their end of the deal, doesn't live up to it, then that contract is non-null and void, and no one has to uphold what that contract stated. A covenant is something quite different. With a covenant, we both agree to our parts, but in exchange, we both agree to uphold our part of the bargain, even if you don't. It's not dependent upon you completing your end of the deal, if you will. We are bound to uphold ours regardless. It doesn't matter if the other party continues in their responsibility to agree what they agreed to do. In Genesis, God God establishes his covenant, and it's pretty well demonstrated this exact idea in this person that he discovered and established this covenant with Abraham. Beginning in chapter 15 of Genesis, God comes to Abraham in a vision. He promises him a son, even in his old age. And then he goes on to extend to him all of the land that surrounds him. Here are God's words. Verse 5, chapter 15. He took him, Abraham, outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. And he also said to Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. And then Abraham and God went through this ritual and they exchanged this covenant and it was a miraculous event. And Abraham was absolutely convinced in that moment that God was serious. But as a church, do we take this kind of relationship serious? Do we seriously covenant in community with one another. We, the church, should have that same type of relationship, first with God, but then with each other. 
It is that serious. It is that intentional. And it is that important. Now, a lot of people will argue that they don't need organized religion, man-made religion, in order to have or follow Jesus. I wouldn't argue with that because that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the church, the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, which was established by Jesus. Jesus says that we absolutely need this. Jesus contends, in fact, that we were made for this type of community. Now, a question for you. Has man messed this up? Yes. I'll go ahead and answer for you. Yes. I contend to you. Give me something on planet Earth that man hasn't messed up. In some way, shape, or form. Have we improved things? Yes. Absolutely. But through every one of our improvements, we've messed something else up. It's just part of man. That's just what we do. We're really, really good at messing things up. Even when we make things better, we still find a way to mess things up. So that question is followed with this. Can God use sin-filled, mistake-ridden shell of what he created the church to be to bring glory and honor to his name? Absolutely he can. Can God use a broken group of believers to build the kingdom on this earth? Absolutely. Let's get personal. Can he take me and you with all of our flaws, with all of our greed, with all of our selfish desires, our pride, and can he alone unite us through the blood of his son Jesus in such a way that not even the gates of hell will prevail against us? Absolutely. And those aren't my words. Those are his. Matthew 16, 18. Not only can he, but he is at work doing this today. But is the church actually doing this? Is this who the church is? Are we the body of Christ? Are we his hands and his feet? Are we emphasizing and actually enacting all of those one another's that are given to us throughout the New Testament? Are we a body or do we look like just a bunch of dismembered piles of body parts? Are we intricately connected like a true body with God as the agent putting us together, his body, his kingdom at work in this world? Consider that when you think of the church. What will the world consider when it looks at us? Well, the world is going to point out our differences. The world is incredible at doing this. That is what the world thrives on, separating people, finding the differences in the groups of people. Now, the funny thing is, when you watch the world, they're always claiming that they're seeking unity, right? But everything they do, they do divides people into smaller groups, whether it's politics, tis the season, whether it's social classes, whatever it is, the world is constantly pointing out our differences and our disparities and creating a bigger divide between everyone. Here's the really unfortunate part. Satan has worked his way into the church doing the exact same thing. It was never Jesus's design. It could not have been. There's no way. Because if you follow the ministry of Jesus and you saw the patterns that he looked to eliminate from the planet, from the moment he began his ministry, he sought to unite everyone together. 
If you've never stopped and thought just about the disciples, those 12 men that he chose, and thought about what Jesus was really asking these 12 men to do, who he was asking them to hang out with, who he was teaching them to not just accept, but ultimately to love. In particular, he took it all the way to the very end of the spectrum. He said, love your enemies with no exceptions. It's an incredible thing. And if you don't believe me, I'll give you a couple of examples. First one, from right within the disciples themselves. One of those disciples that Jesus chose was a man named Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. Now, if you're not familiar with the way that Jewish people viewed tax collectors, it's not like the IRS. While we may or may not love them, it's much, much beyond that because a Jewish tax collector for Rome would have been a Jewish man who sold out to Rome. That was frowned upon in their society because that Jewish man, yeah, he got an income from the Roman government, but you see the way that Jewish person made money was by extorting their fellow Jewish brothers and sisters. And they would charge them more than what Rome required and then pocket the difference. Now, we don't have that information specifically about Matthew, but we do about another man. His name was Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector who met Jesus. And so Jesus gets this guy, Matthew, brings him into the mix, comes into the disciples and says, hey guys, I got another for us. His name's Matthew. And yes, he is. So, are you leaving? Are you going to stick with me? He didn't care that Matthew was a tax collector. Do you think those other guys did? I guarantee they did. And Jesus kind of said, well, get over it, because this is who we're going to be moving forward. Now, he took them farther than that. After he introduces them to Matthew on down the road a ways, a little later on in the story, Jesus introduces them to a Samaritan. Now, the Jews did not like the Samaritans. As a matter of fact, they hated the Samaritans more than they hated the tax collectors. For lots of reasons, it's a long historical story, but to get to the heart of the point, the Jews did not consider the Samaritans to even be fully human. They considered them to be half-breeds, Jews who had intermarried with the Assyrians, something that was expressly forbidden all the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 7. The Jews were not allowed to do this. But Jesus didn't just introduce them to a Samaritan. No, no, he introduced them to a Samaritan woman. <laughs> that was scandalous to say the least. But you know what? Jesus wasn't done yet. Because then the Samaritan woman went home and brought back the entire town, a town in which the Jesus and the disciples would have intentionally avoided on the path to meet them. And Jesus' disciples were now forced to interact with these people, but Jesus wasn't done yet. Because now Jesus said, oh, hey, they're inviting us back to town with them. So now these 12 men went with Jesus into the Samaritan village and stayed for two days. Meaning, they spent the night in the Samaritans' homes. They ate the Samaritans' food. This was all wrong. He challenged them. He challenged them to confront their hate, confront their differences, to not look past it, to not ignore it, but to face it head on. Then he challenged them to not just get over it, but to defeat their hatred for the Samaritans, but he challenged them to do so not by themselves. No, he gave them the power of his love. And it was only through Jesus' love that they were able to go into the homes of this group of people that they moments ago despised. The disciples could have backed out at any moment in time, but they did not. 
they pressed on with Jesus. Now, there's lots of other examples in the Bible, but let's get back to what we're talking about. Satan, in this world himself, he wants the church as divided as the church can possibly be. What a great, great strategy for Satan. And so the result is, now at this point in time, do you think it was God's plan for there to be more than 33,000 different versions of the church in this world? I don't. I don't read that in scripture. I didn't see Jesus finding that many different things to get started. He started the church period in the discussion. Man has been the one to do this. Now, please understand, sometimes man did this with the most noble of attempts. This is not a slam on any denomination or any church or anything like that. This is a conversation about why on earth is this the case, because that was not the way it was intended. The first thing you've got to take into consideration is this. This is probably new information to some of you. The church is made of people, okay? And sometimes people don't get along. You probably don't know that. I, I'm, if you've never met anyone, you, you may not, okay? But that is truth. Uh, people sometimes disagree. They don't get along. They don't enjoy being together. And so then they faction and break up. Denominations were sometimes created literally as simply as that to make peace amongst the people, people who didn't get along. Sometimes they were created because of a difference of opinion, maybe even a doctrinal difference or a practice. Sometimes they were created because of different just preferences, worship styles, things like that. Sometimes they're created because of different gifts or different passions of the groups of people that attend. Sometimes the separation might have occurred to allow for cultural differences within a community or in a country even, or they might simply be because of tradition. Sometimes in today's world, we separate because I don't like the color of the carpet you're putting in or the walls you're going to paint, so I'm going to start a new church because that's how petty we humans are, and we do so in the name of of God and our freedom in Christ. Well, like I said, that was never Jesus's intent. So here's what we have before us. We, the church, we have an opportunity. We can't do anything about what everything that's happened to this point in history. God doesn't ask us to. God asks us from this moment on to allow the spirit of unity, the spirit of Jesus to reign and overcome everything that's come before us. You know, the reality of denominations is actually kind of interesting when you consider Jesus' dying prayer in the garden, very specifically in John chapter 27, beginning of verse 20, he prayed very specifically for the unity of the church, which didn't even exist yet, and its believers. Unity within the believers. There's a reason Jesus prayed that prayer. He knew what we would be dealing with. But the church, we're talking about membership. What does the church bring to the table so to speak. What should the church, what's the church's role in this relationship? It's a great question. First thing I want to do is I want to challenge the terminology. And if I can get it through my brain, because I've only heard the words church member my whole life, if I can get it through my brain, I'm going to change the way I speak about such things. I want to change it to the concept of church adoption. Adoption is a beautiful thing in our culture. Every one of us in this room knows what adoption is. What I want us to consider is that is exactly what the church is desiring to do to those outside the church. We want to reach out to those that are lost and searching for a home and provide that very thing for them. We want to reach out to those that know Jesus but have never connected with the body 
of Christ here on this earth. We want to reach out to those that do not know Jesus yet and invite them here to meet him. We want to love those that God sends our way in such a way that they feel like this is home, that this is a family, because truth be known, a lot of the people we're attempting to reach do not know what a family is truly supposed to be. This is how we should see the church. Now, along with that, once someone has agreed to be adopted into the family, the church then has some responsibilities. We are bound to love them, to protect them, to teach them, to feed them, both spiritually and sometimes physically as well, to challenge them, to grow. The Bible even talks about this thing called church discipline. Things that we're not going to talk about today, it's a topic for another time, but it's something that's worth mentioning because it's something that must play a role in this church relationship in the adoption. A church is not a club. It's not something that you pay your dues to in order to get a service or a benefit of some kind. Remember, it is a covenant relationship that is bought with the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus. We're talking about the church this week. Next week, we'll enter you and I in our role our response to who we should be as a church member. The church's role is a covenant membership role. We need to be intentionally committed to every member. I read it this way, and I quote, By the Holy Spirit's power, a local church represents the active presence of Christ's kingdom in this world. It is naturally interrelated, interdependently connected. We need each other and that functions in harmony as one body. People are added to the body, and they join the body, which represents the whole church. The church provides members accountability in order to love and to nurture and to preserve the witness of the church. Yes, we the church, we the leaders of the church, are bound to protect the bride of Christ against the attacks of the evil one. It is one of the primary responsibilities of the elders within a church to guard the church and her doctrine closely, Paul says. As a result, sometimes we have to have difficult conversations even with members of the church that have been led astray by the evil one and bring them back in to the community. That is the process of church discipline, and it's not an easy one, but it's something we're called to do as we counsel and work with those that have been in fact, led astray. We, the church, are called to live out those one another's mentioned throughout the whole New Testament. The local church is a group of believers who gather to worship, to serve, to learn, and to grow into the likeness of Jesus. Church membership joins the individual to the local blood-bought community of Jesus. It is not a coincidental gathering of people. It is not, it's just like your physical body. Your physical body is not a casual, random collection of related parts. A flock of sheep is not just some group of scattered sheep that have been brought together. A household has identifiable members. So does the local church. The church is a clearly defined community of Jesus, built on grace alone. In any church where you go, that there is this hierarchy, there's this feeling of superiority and inferiority, that is not the ways of Christ. Paul lays that out for us in Corinthians. We are all equal under the grace of God. Anything less would be to mock that same grace that we're all given. You got to know this, that in the New Testament, there's no such thing as a church without some recognition of belonging. 
of membership in that covenant community for one another. To review, especially if someone asks you, what is the church? Well, the church is not. The church should not be a loose affiliation of people who roughly hold some similar religious beliefs, no matter what those might be. You're not joining a religious club when you join a church. A church, hopefully you've all learned, this is not a building. This could happen anywhere. If this were to burn down the moment we walked out the doors, it would not matter. We would find a new home tomorrow to gather and to worship in. You're not going to an exclusive clubhouse when you go to church on a Sunday morning. We are not just a nonprofit organization with some neat vision statements and some super clear objectives at all. The church is, however, a regular assembly of people who profess and give evidence that they have been saved by God's grace alone, for his glory alone, through faith in Jesus Christ. The church is a local, living, loving collection of people who are committed to Christ and through Christ committed to each other. A church is a display of God's wisdom and his glory. A church is a display of counter-cultural Christ-like love. As we close today, I read this definition of church by Pastor Aaron Brockett. He's a lead pastor at Traders Point Christian Church on the northwest side of Indy. He said it this way, the church is a community of believers who confess Jesus as Savior and Lord, who are organized under biblical qualified leadership, gathering regularly for preaching, prayer, worship, observing baptism, communion, <clears throat> unified by the Holy Spirit, pursuing holiness through the spiritual disciplines, and then scattering to fulfill the great commandments, which is to love the Lord your God and to love others, your neighbors, as yourself, and scattering to fulfill the great commission, which is to make disciples of all nations. As missionaries going throughout the world, as, where, as, as well as missionaries where you work and live and play, and all of this is to be to the glory of God our Father and to our joy. This is who we're called to be. That should excite you. That's our mission. That's why we exist. It should excite you to be a part of such a thing. It's who we're striving to become. And for those of you that haven't joined yet, here's the thing. Is God calling you to be a part of such a, com a, a, a com covenant community here at Berea? We pray that he is. Here's what I can assure you. He absolutely, if you're listening somewhere in the world online, he is absolutely encouraging you right now to join a local body of believers wherever you might be. If it happens to be that you're here with us, do you think this is a coincidence? Or do you think there's something beyond that? Because I can tell you there is no such thing as coincidence in God's design. Albert Einstein is given credited with the following quote, coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. But now that you know, God is no longer anonymous. He created us to need this kind of belonging. We recognize that biblical membership matters because people need it. People need membership commitment because they need to be connected to the Christian community. This is not just for the sake of the faith community, but for the sake of the individual's as well. Individualistic lone ranger, sometimes called Christianity, is at best a myth. At worst, it's actually a very damaging pursuit because we were created to need each other, to be better with one another. God makes us a part of our, his larger family when we are born again. 
But then we should desire to covenant in a local body, to live in community with them, agreeing to live by certain godly standards and practices and principles. Here's one thing that some churches will throw out there. Membership does not, does not save you. And I know some churches do preach that. That's not in God's word anywhere. But, but it does enable us to grow both spiritually and physically mature in Christ. Not only should we be members of a body, but beyond that, we should be able to express that value of membership to others that are looking. Through church membership, a believer identifies with Jesus publicly. They are a part of that church. Through church membership, the believer participates in the mission of Jesus. The diversity and the unity of the local church allows us to better accomplish God's, Jesus' gospel mission. The Spirit-given gifts that each and every one of us were given to us so that we could use them for the benefit of others, together for the common good, for each other within the body, as well as those that we're reaching out to from the body. Now, in our current culture, the church is not going to have a very good overall view by society as a whole. Why? Because our message is going to be controversial to the world. We are not going to be politically correct, nor can we be. Because we are going to stand before you and we are going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But then we're going to take it a step further and we're going to say, and oh, by the way, there is absolutely no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. And that's not a message that the world wants to hear, but that is the truth, and we can never shy away from the truth. As you've had conversations with people, I want you to consider how joining the church changes the way you speak about the church. The community, you've had these conversations with people the community will talk about that church. Have you ever heard that term? That church over there? Well, that church is doing this. I, I guarantee if you've talked to anybody about church, you've used that expression and or heard it. The crowd, the people that just gather at a church will talk about this church. But the congregation, the members, they talk about it as if it's our church. It's my church. So I ask you the question, is this your church? Do you love the church, not the idea of the church, not some abstract thought about the church, but do you love the local body of believers? Here's the catch, even with its people and its problems. You see, within a covenant I described earlier that both parties agree to hold up their end of the deal regardless of the other. Since a church is made of people, here's something I can assure you will happen. Both sides will fail. The question then becomes, the church is called to meet you where you're at and to stand with you. Will you, in turn, meet her where she is and stand with her? Will you make a spiritual commitment, a pledge, a perpetual and ongoing promise to the church to not just be a part of her, but to love her and to serve within her, to support and encourage her. The church will strive to fulfill her obligations 
to you as members, but again, I will remind you that she is led by a whole bunch of imperfect people who will make mistakes. And I also probably should mention that most of our members will too fall short. But the most awesome part of the whole conversation is the one who created and established and founded and dreamed up and planted inside of us a desire to be a part of the church? Well, he is perfect. (laughs) And his ways are higher than anything any of us could ever dream or imagine. And all we're doing is striving to become the people of God, to become the community that God desires here at Berea, who he is calling us to be. And we just ask, will you join us? on that journey. I can assure you of this, the leadership here is seeking only one thing, and that is Jesus. Everything else is incidentals and things along the way. Our goal, our sole mission is to seek after Christ, and we will miss the mark, and we will fall short, but no church, that is what we're striving for, period, end of discussion. And so if that is something that you agree with, and you are striving toward Jesus as well, we pray that God will lead you to join us here at Berea. And as I mentioned at the start of the series last week, there are people here today that have literally been going to church here for a long time. Most people consider them longtime valued members. And I just ask, would you be willing to come forward and establish officially that covenant relationship between yourself and the bride of Christ, if nothing else, as an example to others who might be considering doing that very same thing. If you're a person that's been here visiting or whatever for a while and you're curious, you want to know more, we have an opportunity for you to meet with the leadership. If you'd rather not go to that, I'll have lunch with you myself. I'll I'll grab an elder or two and bring him with me to have lunch with you and just discuss the church and what the body of Christ is supposed to be. But it is important. You understand this covenant relationship. It's not this loose connection between people. It is a tight, intimate relationship between one another here in this place. But then I would be remiss if I didn't discuss the most important decision anyone could ever make, and that is the decision to accept Christ and be unified ultimately with his body through coming forward and confessing the name of Jesus, asking forgiveness, repenting of your sins, and being immersed with him in the waters of baptism. We know every week there's somebody listening that has not made that decision, and we always want to put that out there. So please meet with us and do that. Let's pray this morning. Father God, as we consider the scope of your church, Father, the the body of Christ, and and so many people, like, I I don't want to join the church. Which church should I join? There's so many different versions and, and things out there, and this isn't a conversation about those versions. It's a conversation about your body. It's a conversation about your bride spread across this planet in so many unique ways that, Father, you've given us options, if you will, at this phase. But, Father, I pray that we, as a church, Uphold you first and foremost and put you out as the reason why someone would be attracted to this place. It is simply because of your love, your shining light through us. Father, there's people here that have never officially proclaimed their relationship with the body here and established that covenant relationship, one which we are both going to be striving to uphold our ends, but knowing that both are going to fall short and it doesn't matter, we're going to stick with it anyway. I pray those people will come forward to do that. If nothing else, as I said, as an example to others, if you, even though you've been here for 20 years, want to set that standard for those that might be considering it for the first time. If people are visiting, only been here a few months or a couple years, and they're wondering, is this the place we should be? We pray that the Spirit moves them to make that covenant commitment to us and to you here. 
And Father, if there's anyone here today that has not accepted your son, man, I pray like nothing else, that if nothing else was heard today, that your son came to this earth for them this morning so they could come forward and recognize who you are, the son of the living God, that you came and offered your life for the forgiveness of their sins so that one day they could spend eternity with you. I pray that that spirit is moving to make that decision today, that wherever they may be listening, that somehow they find a way to meet with someone and make that decision. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for the church that he alone established and the opportunity to be a part of the bride of Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to do something a little different here this morning as you come forward to get communion. Uh, Gayla had a great idea before service. She said, since we're talking about unity within the body of Christ, maybe we could do this. And I said, that's a great idea. Let's do it. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do here in just a moment. Come forward like you always would. Go ahead and grab your communion, but don't.